0: The second chapter of Genesis. And I'm certainly mindful of the fact that we've studied this in Sunday school this morning. I just feel impressed to bring, to lay on our hearts a little portion of this chapter this morning in the lesson, in the message. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the honor of being in God's house today. We pray that the Holy Spirit will move across the heartstrings of every person here and those who listen by radio. And may someone be called from their darkness, misery, disturbance, into glorious light of Christ. May this be the beginning of days for someone here today. Lift loads and brighten the road And, Father, may the Holy Spirit of God do His work of making alive the Word and bringing conviction to the lost and comfort to the saved. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 2, I'd like to read... Verses 7 to 14, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became four heads. The name of the first is Pishon. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is the delium, the onyx stone. The name of the second river is Gihon, the same as it that compasseth the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hiddekel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria and the fourth river is Euphrates. Now the rest of that second chapter, if you were in Sunday school, you read it, or you've read it in preparation for today, and you know that the difference between chapter one and chapter two is not two accounts of the same thing, and it certainly is not a conflict between the way God did it in chapter one and the way God did it in chapter two. But rather, chapter 1 is a sweeping survey of how God created the heavens and the earth, and then He created animal life, and then He created man. And the word bara in the Hebrew appears only three times as a creative act of God in Genesis 1. All of the other things He made from existing things, existing material. He said, let there be light. That didn't mean He created the light. It had already been created when He created the sun and the moon and the stars and created the worlds, the universe. But He said, let it appear. Same way with the sun and the moon and the stars and all the other acts of chapter 1. Three creative acts. One of those is the crown of creation. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the Lord God said, let us make man in our image. And then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And that word bara appears again. That is, God made or created or breathed into this man whom he had formed from the dust of the ground that which was part of God. And man couldn't get it from any place else. He couldn't get it from the animal world. He couldn't get it from the plant world. He could only get it from God. And that's what Genesis 2, verse 7 is saying. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now that's not said about the plants. That's not said about the tigers and the elephants and the cats and the dogs. It's only said about man. And man became a living soul. Very briefly this morning, I want us to examine what is involved in man becoming a living soul. First of all, we think of his reality. Secondly, his responsibility, and thirdly, his redemption. First of all, his reality. Man became a living soul. Now there are a lot of things we could say concerning Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The critics have tried to point their guns at it and say this is two accounts, two different accounts. And so there's conflict between the way God did it in chapter 1 and the way God did it in chapter 2, but those conflict, those skeptics and critics misunderstand the whole scope of Scripture. If you will follow chapter 1 carefully, you'll notice it doesn't close until chapter 2, the first part of the, chapter 2. It tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there was a void and vast darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon it all. And God said, let there be light, and so on and so on, all through these six successive days. And on that sixth day, the last part of that sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image. And so God created man in His own image, and the image of God created He them. Male and female created He them. And the image of God in man was not His eyes and nose and ears and hands and face and All that, why that would have been to make man in God's image. But to make man, that would have been made to make God in man's image. But to make man in God's image meant that there was something about man that was like God. And that was not true of the tigers and the elephants. That was not true of the cats and the dogs and the mice. There's nothing in them that's like God, except the fact that they have animation and they have life. But they are subservient to man. The plant life is subservient to the animals. They were given for vegetables and herbs for the animals to eat. The animals were given for man to take care of. And from the animal life, man gets his sustenance. But man was given for God. Man was given to this earth to take care of the earth, to take care of the world, to be as it were in this earth a representative of God to the cats, to the dogs, to the animals, to the plant life, to the earth, to the farms, to everything, and to the sea, and to the space, so that everything man does with his hands, does with his mind, does with his very being can be blessed of God. I've heard people say, do you think it's right for man to go to the moon? Is it right for man to go out there and send a spaceship out to see what Jupiter's like and what Mars is like? Is that right? Isn't man meddling in things that he doesn't have any, have any business meddling in? No, I disagree with all that. I think God has given to man the assignment of exploring this universe and finding out all of its hidden secrets under the authority of God. The problem comes When man scraps God and says, God, get out of the way, I'm going to play God. I'm going to do what God was doing, and I am the God of this universe. It's all wrapped up in a poem that was printed a number of years ago. I am master of my fate. I am captain of my soul. From the center all round to the sea, I am Lord of the fowl and the brute. That man that was exiled on the isle thought he was in charge of everything, And he thought he was captain of everything until he discovered that he too had a captain. There is not one of us who can arrive at a point where he supposes that he is captain of everything and has to report to nobody. Every one of us has to give an account of himself before God because God made us. Now, we could talk about the supposed conflicts between chapters 1 and 2. But if you really focus in on chapter 1, you notice that it climaxes at the beginning of chapter 2 when God rested, He ceased from all of His activity, and He said this is the Sabbath day. This is the Sabbath day. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then in chapter 2, God focuses in on man. In the beginning, He gives a great sweep of everything He's done, all the creative acts, All of this world made by God. And then in chapter 2, he says, I've created man. Now I'm going to show you all about man. I've created him to be my representative in the earth. And I've breathed into him the breath of life. And then God planted a garden and God made a woman. And he said, all of this is for your satisfaction so that you can, by my authority, rule the world under the authority of God. Now I want you first of all to notice the reality of man. God breathed in the man the breath of life and he became a living soul. We read an interesting verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, and in other related passages in the Scripture, we have a hint that man was made as a trichotomy. He was made as body, soul, and spirit. His body is his biology. His soul is his psychology. His spirit is his God consciousness. Now the plant life has a body, that's its botany. The animal world has a body and a soul. The body is its biology and the soul is its self-consciousness. You take a dog or a cat or some animal, they have self-consciousness. And from time to time in the Word of God, the word soul is used to refer to the self-consciousness of animals. For instance, Adam, I mean uh, Abraham came out of, Ur of the Chaldees and then he went into Haran and while he was in Haran he and his wife had children and uh, or at least his servants had children and he had obtained obtained a lot of children a lot of servants and a lot of animals a lot of herds and when they came out of Haran the scripture says Abraham came out of Haran and all of the souls that came with him talking about his animals and his, uh, his servants, and all of his herdsmen, and all those people, and it gives a number of how many came out from Haran. And it says those were the souls that came out. So the word soul is used sometimes to refer to the self-consciousness of individuals. And it can be used to refer to the self-consciousness of an animal or the self-consciousness of a man. The problem and the confusion comes that many times in the scripture the words soul and spirit are used interchangeably. And so the soul of man is, though it's his self-consciousness, it also involves his God-consciousness because the spirit of man is involved with that. But the difference between an animal and a man is not his body, it is not his soul, it is his spirit. There's not one kangaroo in the earth. There's not one dog in the earth. There's not one cat in the earth that has a spirit. They have souls. They have self-consciousness. They can respond to you. And they can even respond to some kind of warmth or love. But they cannot respond to God. They respond to you. And you are as to them God. And God planned it that way. But, the, but man is a step higher, a little lower than the angels, the Scripture says, in Psalm and Hebrews. But man was made in the image of God, and this means there is something about man that is so totally different from the plant life and from the animal world that he is an entirely different creation. And this is the reason the word bara appears in Genesis 1:27. God created man. He didn't create him out of anything that was already in existence. He created that part of man, which is the image of God, out of nothing. And God breathed into man the breath of life. and He became a living soul. So man's life is different from the animal world. This is his reality. He is body, soul, and spirit. And as the spirit of man he is in the earth as God and you know this plays into our ego this plays into our selfishness self-centeredness and it wasn't very long until Adam remembering that he was over the animals he was over everybody else and God had put a tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden he said that tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt not eat of it. And the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And it wasn't very long until Adam said, Well, I'm in charge of everything. I'm just like God. And in the third chapter of Genesis, we see Satan come along and say, Eve, hey, Eve, you know that God? Why, he knows that the day you eat of that tree, you'll be just like him. You see, he appealed to that, that egocentricity, that, that self-centeredness that was already there in the heart of man. He appealed to that and he said, you just go on and be God, play God. And this is the problem that plagues every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We want to pretend like we're God. We want to take matters in our own hands and be God. I want you to see next not only his response his reality but his responsibility God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life man became a living soul I heard about a little boy he was playing in his home and his mother and daddy had taught him that God made man from the dust of the ground and he was playing around the house He looked under the bed and saw some dust there. He said, Mama, did you say that man was made from the dust? She said, Yes, that's right. And did you say that man's going back to the dust? Yes, that's right. Well, the little boy said, Mama, somebody's either coming or going under that bed in there. (laughs) Now, you and I were made from the dust of the ground, but I want to tell you, we have a terrific responsibility. We have a tremendous responsibility. That responsibility is to God, and every one of us will give an account. The Scripture says over in 1 Corinthians, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now just what is man supposed to do? Well in Genesis 1 verses 20, verse 28, God gives man an assignment. God blessed them. God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over it. This was the first assignment. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Furnish the earth with people. This was one of the responsibilities and secondly subdue the earth. You're to go out of here and get the farmland and make it produce peas and corn and tomatoes. You're to take the animal world and take care of them and from the cows get milk and from the All of the, from the hogs, I guess, get ham. You're to take the animals and you're to subdue them and you're to, they're for you, they're for you. Take care of them. Now, the ecologists are extremists, but I think there's something to ecology because God also told us to take care of the land in which we live and not abuse it This is the reason he gave a law of the year of Sabbaths to the Jews. He said, you take a piece of land and you can operate it for a little while, but every seven years you let it lie idle. And if you don't do that, there'll be judgment on you. Now, farmers today are wise. They can fertilize some land and use it and reuse it, but every once in a while they have to sow it in fescue or sow it in some kind of grass. that to let it rest a little while. And if we don't do that, there is a built-in judgment. This is part of the responsibility that you and I have. Now that responsibility is far more severe the higher we go. He said we're to subdue, then we're to have dominion over the things of the earth. And God planted a garden. And He said you're to take care of this earth. You're to take care of this world. Everything you have belongs to you under the authority of God, and you're to take care of it. And then, you know what he did? He made for man a helpmate, a helpmeet, and he said, you're to take care of her too. Now remember that when God got ready to make woman, if you'll notice in verses 18 to 22 of Genesis 2, that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and as he slept, he took out of his ribs one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. God did not take man, uh, woman from man's brains. He didn't perform a surgery and pull out some brains and say, now I'm going to make a woman so that the woman can be the brains of the man, run the man. Nor did God perform a foot surgery and take a foot bone and build it over here and say, here's a woman, she can be kicked around by a man. But God performed a delicate surgery and he took from his side that out of which he made a woman. And God said, she's to be a helpmate, a helpmate, one suitable to meet your needs, one suitable to complement your life, one suitable to go with you through life's little while. And God said, man, take care of her. When God gives you a help meet. Handle her with prayer. She's fragile. God never intended for a man to be a brute or to be a beast in his relationship with a woman. God never intended for a man to lord it over a woman and treat her like she's less than he is. God made woman from man to be the lifelong companion in all of the experiences of life. And he made her on an equal footing with himself. And we don't need the ERA movement to tell us that. We don't need women's liberation movement to come along and say woman needs to be equal with man. What they're really trying to do is make a woman into a man. I want to tell you without any apology, God did not make men and women alike. I'm sure that most of you are aware of that. And we don't have to demonstrate it. We don't have to draw pictures. We don't have to prove it. Women are one, men are another. They're different. And God made it that way. And God never intended for a man to be like... Dobbins, a great man of God. I'll never forget what he said. He said, there are two things I hate. Now, he was sort of a British brogue and he said, there are two things that I hate. One is a monish woman and another is a womanish mon. God never intended for a man to act like a woman. They used to call that a sissy, but they don't do that anymore because there are so many sissies around that they've filled the ranks. God never intended a woman to be like a man. They're different. They look different, act different, walk different, talk different, dress differently. I've been interested in some of the clothes that some of our people wear. You know, a few years ago, I never had to preach on a thing like this. Some of you say, well, preacher, you, you, you've gotten, gotten sort of fanatical in your old age. <laughs> I'm 48 I've got gray hair it looks like I'm 78 but I want to tell you something. 20 years ago 15 years ago 10 years ago I had to preach a thing like this I didn't have to say now l- boys don't look like little sissies don't wear your hair long no boy wanted to wear his hair long they all wanted them cut because it was a shame for a boy to have long hair. How many of you men remember when you were a boy and that was true, lift your hands? Certainly it's true. And women, we didn't have to use to say, godly, Christian, gracious, godly women wear clothes that become a woman. You didn't have to say that because the women wanted to. God made men different from women and women different from men. And he intended them to be different, not to try to be as much alike as they can. And the big problem with the ERA movement is not trying to earn respectability for a woman. She has it. It is not trying to earn equal footing for a woman. Praise God, she deserves it. But it is trying to make a woman into a man. And that is an abomination to God. God never intended Never intended You see these women climbing these telephone posts around town. See a woman officer riding all night in a car with a man officer and they're not husband and wife. God didn't intend that. And you don't have to have a job like that. Men are one and women are another. And God had it from the beginning. And if we'll go back to the basis of the word of God, we'll not have so much problem. Now, you may not like this. That's all right. Didn't ask you. I love you. I just want to preach what the Word of God is saying. Man has a responsibility, and that responsibility is to take care of this world that God made for us. And in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to. Just let us in on a beautiful portion of Scripture. Listen to what God says. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Incidentally, wives, the Bible doesn't tell you to love your husband. Isn't that funny? The Bible says husbands love your wife. It doesn't say wives love your husband. Do you know why it says that? Because the husband, the man is the aggressor. It isn't right for some girl to call up a teenage boy all the time, be calling him all the time. If you've got a teenage girl, don't let her do that. The boy, if he's got any salt in him, any sense in him, kind of, if he's worth anything, he'll do the calling. And if he hadn't got enough in him to call, girls, you better leave him alone. You'll be unhappy all your life. You're the one. The man is the aggressor, not the woman. God never intended it the other way. And this scripture says, husbands, love your wife. And do you know why it says that? Because when a husband loves his wife, he awakens in her that which responds to his love, and she has a nature that turns toward her husband. God made it that way. And if it isn't that way, there's a perversion of it. God made it that way. But it does say, Wife, submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be to her own husband in everything. God said that. And the wife is to be not an ornament, not a thing not a piece of property that a man owns she is on equal footing with him but she is to be there is to be awakened in her that love that her husband awakens and then she is to submit herself unto him and if she doesn't do it she needs to read the word of god there's either something wrong with the way that a man is awakening that love or there's something wrong with her and she's gotten her eyes off him god's plan and god's will for her life over somewhere else and i want to just say this it isn't in scripture and i want to be sure that you understand i know the difference between scripture and things that are not scriptural scripture doesn't say that at these factories a woman should not sit down and have coffee with a man the bible doesn't say that but i want to tell you i think it's dangerous I've seen so much and heard so much in these years that I've been in the city of some woman that innocently sits down and starts telling all of her troubles and all of her problems to some man at work. And pretty soon, he listens. And she says, my husband wouldn't listen, so he'll listen. And some man goes out and tells all of his problems to some woman at work. Brothers and sisters, this is not God's will. That's the surest way to a divorce court. God never planned it that way. If you've got problems, find a counselor. Take your problems to a counselor, to a minister, to some family counselor, but don't take them to some man that's not your husband or some woman that's not your wife. God never intended that. God wants man to take care of that wonderful, cherished possession, his home. And last of all, because my time is up, I want to speak of God's Redeemer in a man's life. Man, from the very beginning, was going to have to have a redeemer because in order for man to be a free moral agent, God had to create the possibility for man to be tempted. If man could never have been tempted, then he would not have been a free moral agent. If he could have never been tempted, then he would have just been a puppet on a string, but God said, no. I want men to serve me because they love me, because they want to serve me. God never makes slaves out of anybody. There are no draftees in the kingdom of God. They're all volunteers. No draftees at all. God never comes back there and conscripts you and makes you get in his army. But he does hold out his arm. He does hold out his hand and say, all day long have I held out my hand to you. And so God created in the very beginning the possibility for man to sin, And when man sinned, there was already, because of God's great foreknowledge, there was a cross in the heart of God. And God planted not only a tree in the Garden of Eden, He planted a tree on Golgotha's hill 2,000 years ago. And on that tree, His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came. And He who knew no sin became sin for you and me, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And man's Redeemer, from the pre-council rooms of eternity gave his life on that cross that whosoever will come to Jesus by faith would not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you failed in your plan of your storm-tossed life? Place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. Has your life all been messed up? Have you looked around and you've said, Oh, I've missed God's standard. I've missed God's perfection. What will I do? What will I do? Go to Calvary. Quickly go to Calvary. There at Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son cleanses from all sin and there's enough efficacious blood to cover your sins today if you'll come to Jesus and receive Him and trust Him and love Him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank Thee that Jesus, the God-man of eternity, came to the cross and died for our sins. Oh God, May the Holy Spirit of God touch people's hearts and somebody who has never been saved come to Jesus today. And somebody who has just failed in life's storms and battles and they bear in their body the battle scars. Lord, help them to flee to Calvary and to find in Jesus a refuge for their souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand, please? We're singing God's invitation. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am. You don't have to change your life to come to Christ. Listen. You say, preacher, you don't have to change your life to come to Christ? That's right. You just come like you are, and he'll change you. Now, I want to tell you, brother, if he doesn't change you, you're not going to be changed. You can turn over a new leaf, and you can quit some meanness, but as soon as you get a chance, you're going to get right back at it. But if you'll let Jesus Christ come in and change you, you just come to him and say, Lord, I surrender to you. There's nothing good I can do. In my flesh dwelleth no good things. I've reached the end of my rope. I want Christ. I want him in my heart. You come like that he'll cleanse you and forgive you and change you and save you and you'll have a new life and a new step and a new walk with the king will you come like that god helped you to do it if your membership is in some other church and god wants you at glendale will you come whatever the holy spirit has impressed upon your heart do it quickly if your letter is somewhere else and god wants you as a member of this church you come today And if there's someone that ought to recommit his life to the savior or offer his life for the service of the King. Will you come while we begin to sing? Will you step out for the Lord?